Hi, it's Rock Stamberg and John Sticks. Now hear this.
It's a tug of war What with one thing and another It's a tug of war We expected more But with one thing and another We were trying to outdo each other In a tug of war In another world, we could stand on top of the mountain with our flag unfurled. In a time to come, in a time to come, we will be dancing to the beat played on a different drum. It's a tug of war. It's a tug of war But I can't let go If I do you'll take a tumble And the whole thing is gonna crumble It's a tug of war In years to come, they may discover what the air we breathe and the life we lead are all about. But it won't be soon enough, soon enough for me. No, it won't be soon enough. It's a tug of war What with one thing and another It's a tug of war We expected more But with one thing and another We were trying to outscore each other In a tug of war
our opening salvo of songs was our own tribute to George yeah, Martin. George, the late George Martin. These five songs are all produced by George Martin. First one is the song Willin', or as C-Train called it, I'm Willin', off of their album C-Train. I know it by Little Feet and Lowell George, but apparently C-Train had uh, done it first with George Martin producing them. Word I got was that Lowell George was not happy with this version, but on a personal level, I actually prefer this to Little Feet. Now, you said that this was uh, George Martin's first production outside of the Beatles after the Beatles had broken up. So this was, what, 1970? I guess so. And he was very appreciative of the band. He thought they were great. He had a lot of fun doing it. And he didn't realize it would be so easy and so musical. I think it's a great album. And they're Americans. And he was, I I wonder how that happened, how they got hooked up. Well, we know they're on Capitol Records, so there may have been a connection there since the Beatles were on Capitol. I don't know. I don't know how they got a hold of them. I don't know how it worked. I do know that the band, part of the band came from the Blues Project, you know, Al Cooper, Wake Me, Shake Me, you know, Andy Kohlberg, who did Flute Thing. Right. C-Train in concert used to do flute thing as well. And it also had uh, Peter Rowan, who was sort of a mandolin kind of guy. And Richard Green, a great violin player. I mean, they do a great version of Orange Blossom special on this album, too. Tremendous record. I don't know if it's out on CD yet. I don't. I certainly don't know. But I will say that this version of Willin, or as they call it, C-Train calls it, I'm Willing, is completely different. uh, Different vibe than I've ever heard it before. We follow that up with She's a Woman. The Lennon-McCartney song done on Blow by Blow by Jeff Beck, which uh, George Martin produced. George Martin produced two Jeff Beck albums, uh, Blow by Blow in 75 and Wired in 76. This is a completely different vibe to uh, the version of She's, She's a Woman that we know by the Beatles. It should be noted that in the Jeff Beck canon of albums, Blow by Blow is the Parthenon of his instrumental era. It's a really good album. I, I, I just recently uh, was listening to uh, the follow-up album, and it's, it, I don't think it holds a candle to Blow by Blow, but it's still a fine album. The, yeah, the album one of the things I love about this uh, is that Jeff Beck is very well known for his covers. Because We've Ended as Lovers is on this, this album. The He's certainly known these days for doing Day in the Life by the Beatles, mm-hmm. but he really should also be recognized and applauded for this reggae version of She's a Woman, filled with melody, filled with punch, filled with funky little riffs, and it, it's, it's a giddy kind of uh, attack to the song. The album Blow by Blow is, is a variety of songs and feels. It's just a, it is a tremendous record, and if you don't have many guitar instrumental records, this is a wonderful place to start. Absolutely. If you're not a guitar geek, you're going to love it anyway. Now, the next song uh, came from... Beatles love recording, and as Rock it's, told me, this might have been the last. Production. I think this is the last uh, production that George Martin was involved with, with with his son Giles Martin, who's gone on to be a, f- a fairly decent up and coming producer in England. He produced uh, three tracks off of Paul McCartney's most recent album, which is called New. But this this is a, a three three song mashup of Drive My Car, The Word, and What You're Doing. I love. This Beatle album love. I love the mashups. I love the remixes. I thoroughly enjoy what the George, sound what is, George the sound Martin is has fantastic. done. They had access to the actual master tapes. They were able to not only remaster this stuff when they were doing the, the mashups, but they were able to remix it. 
And that brought out all sorts of stuff that you could hear that you never were able to hear before. And just by the nature of the mashup, you were hearing all kinds of things that you hadn't heard in the original, in the originals, <laughs> or in, in the, that aspect. But Rock, uh, you had told me some people uh, don't lots, like this record. Lo- a lot of my friends absolutely think that, that love that the love uh, album is an abomination and is heresy to the Beatles. I think it's a lot of fun, and I think it's really, really great sounding. I mean, if any, if nothing else, the audio production on that particular project was superb. Now, I would say that if you're a casual Beatles fan and you sort of know that this Las Vegas Cirque du Soleil show exists, and you've heard that it's pretty good, and you enjoy the Beatles but haven't bought a Beatle album in a long time, I would get this because. I actually believe it's going to bring a lot of joy. There's a lot of laughter, and it feels great. I mean, when I put it on, the the sun comes out. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. Now, the next song is the title track to Paul McCartney's Tug of War album. Yeah, that was the first first album that uh, George Martin produced for Paul. He had produced uh, Wings' Live and Let Die single in 1973. And in 1980, Paul had gone to see George Martin about producing the next Wings album. And George Martin said to Paul that he wasn't really interested in doing a Wings album. He was interested in doing a Paul McCartney album. Paul subsequently dismissed his then-current drummer and guitar player, but kept Denny Lane, who had been with Wings since day one in 1971. Paul, Linda, Denny Lane, and the families all took off for Montserrat, where most of this album was recorded at Air Studios in Montserrat. Denny Lane decided to leave uh, after the recordings were done. He figured Paul wasn't going to be touring anytime soon, and that's really what he was into with Wings. And so he left the band, and that effectively ended Wings. Paul put out Tug of War as a, his first real solo album since McCartney, since the McCartney or Ram, which was credited to Paul and Linda McCartney. A lot of people think Tug of War is one of Paul McCartney's best albums ever. Now, I was never a fan of McCartney solo records, and I think it's his best ever. Yeah, it's it's a good record. Very, it's it's the one that also had Ebony and Ivory on it. It was re-released last year as a deluxe. You know, the ongoing Paul McCartney uh, remaster series, and it was put out as a deluxe. Uh, I think it was three or four CDs and a DVD and a big book. There's also a two CD version you can get with outtakes, and the outtakes are a lot of fun, and his demos are a lot of fun. And so, uh, if you like that album, I would heartily uh, recommend checking out the deluxe version. We end this segment with a strings-only version of She's Leaving Home. From Sgt. Pepper. Would you call it Stringapella instead of Acapella? Yeah, we were saying Stringapella. <laughs> I mean, there's really not a lot to say. It's, uh, I think Paul, Paul McCartney was on hand to help George Martin with the arrangement, the string arrangement. But usually George Martin did the string arrangements by himself, as from what I've read. But I think towards the end, uh, Paul started getting involved, towards the end of the Beatles. And so I think this... Class of this, I think Paul was uh, around while the, this was being arranged. You, know, you often said to me that you think George Martin really was the fifth Beatle. Absolutely. When George Martin passed away, Paul McCartney and Ringo both put out statements where they cited him as the fifth Beatle. You know, it's, it's a, kind of a stupid thing, uh, but if there was a fifth Beatle, it had to be George Martin, because I don't think, I don't think we'd have the Beatles without George Martin. Not as we know them. <laughs> Certainly. The next segment is a uh, short piece of an interview I did with Butch Trucks from the Allman Brothers, and he's telling me about the very first jam that they had where they actually became a band and they all knew, hey, this is it. This is what we're going to do. The magical jam yeah. that let them know. 
And we follow that with a version of Trouble No More from the Fillmore East recordings. It is not the one everybody knows best. It is a fresh one that came out on that box set. I think this was taken from the third night, the final night. They were all magnificent. I mean, that to me is one of the finest live albums of all time. And the outtakes are just as spectacular. They were on fire for the whole stint of shows uh, at the Fillmore. Okay, they all have run in the band. I'd like to get a historical overview of, did that. of the band, right. like right from the very beginning, like that first jam. Can you remember? Do you have any strong memories of that first jam oh, before you even sure, a band? Sure, sure. What was that like? What kind well, of what happened? Was what happened concisely as I can make it? Dwayne was in Muscle Shoals recording, doing session work. Wilson Pickett. Now, yeah, he had, you know, his yeah. anthology. He decided he wanted, you know, he was tired. He was bored of that. He wanted to go out and do something. And uh, Phil Walden heard him, signed him to a contract, and he came to Jacksonville to put together a band. And at the time, there was probably 15 or 20 first, first-rate musicians in Jacksonville. And every Sunday afternoon, we just get all the equipment in town and make a big mountain out of it, turn everything <laughs> up on intense, and jam all the time. And after about three weeks of that, there was one afternoon that uh, Barry Oakley and Dickie Betts were in the same band, a group called The Second Coming, and they had a house in town, and they had the equipment set up there, and J-Mo had come down with, with Dwayne. And one afternoon, J-Mo and myself, and Barry and Dickie, Dwayne, and a guy named Reese Winan, keyboard player, Greg wasn't there yet. Uh, we happened to be Winan, W-I-N-A-N, I think. I think it's Jerry, Jerry Jeff Walker now. Great player. He is super. By the way, McCoy but he couldn't sure. sing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he scared the shit out of him. We all happened to be there. Two sets of drums, all equipment. So we just started playing. Started off on a shuffle. About three hours later, we quit. And that was the first time that I'd ever felt that, you know, that chill bumps. You know, yeah. just yeah, getting religious about it. You know, I, it just blew me away. And I think everybody else. First time for them too, because you know we'd all been in bands where we'd get a half-ass record deal, and the producer would say, "Here, record these songs. Record these songs. We'll put them out in six weeks. You'll be parting through silk, you know." All that stuff. <laughs> and yeah. we'd all tried that and hated it. So we finished that jam, and uh, I remember I looked over at Jay Moore. I said, "You get off on that," and he had a grin from here to here and said, "Are you kidding?" And then Dwayne walked to the door and said, anybody in this room ain't gonna play in my band, gonna have to fight your way out of here. And that was it. Uh, up to then, it was gonna be Dwayne Allman and whoever. Mm-hmm. Dwayne come to get himself a backup band. And after that day, he realized we done found something. Were there, there any songs that came out of that jam? No, the, the next day, you know, we decided on the band, but we needed a singer. So Dwayne called us, Greg, and said, come on, get over here. I got us, got something happening. And so the next day we got out to my house in Jacksonville and uh, worked up um, Trouble No More, first song we learned. Don't care long ago, I 
you. Next up, we have an interesting, interesting little idea here. It was yours. Uh, first songs on albums. First thing that popped into my mind, oddly enough, is uh, the song Nights on Broadway by the Bee Gees. And it was the opening track on their main chorus album, the one that had Jive talking, that really brought them back into the hit-making realm that they'd been in a couple of times previous to this. This was 1975 that this was actually recorded. But, you know, the Bee Gees had been around, gosh, since the mid-60s when they came from Australia back to England, where they, they originally came from. And, they, you know, they'd had hits in the early days, like, you know, I started a joke, Massachusetts. The mining disaster. The 19, <laughs> 1941 New York mining disaster. And then they kind of lost it for a while, and they actually broke up briefly in 1969. Robin Gibb had a solo song that was a big hit in Europe, called Saved by the Bell. Morris and Barry stuck together as the Bee Gees and did an album called Cucumber Castle. There's a film that was associated with that. I've never seen it. I don't know if it's a promo film or an acting film or anything, but that was around 1969. They got back together in 1971 and had big hits with uh, Lonely Days, Lonely Nights. Anyway, they, they came back in 1971 with Lonely Days, and then they hit another trough of just no hits. The, they were putting out records every year, and they just weren't happening. They were touring, and it just wasn't happening. And in 1974, RSO Records, their uh, record label, put them together with uh, the classic producer Arif Marden, and they recorded an album called Mr. Natural that didn't do anything at all. However, they all realized that there was a chemistry there and it was worth pursuing. And sure enough, they, they hit gold with uh, Main Course, which was the, f the next album, came out in 1975. And really, that started their ascension to the hit machine they became just a couple of years later with uh, Saturday Night Fever. The song Nights on Broadway, it was always a, uh, a big, big part of their live shows, and it's just it's a great opener. Now, everybody knows that Pet Sounds is one of the all-time great albums. It is often cited as the finest album of all time, you know, when they have... Uh, well, Paul McCartney says that uh, the song God Only Knows is his favorite song of all time. Mm. But the opening song on this tremendous album... Wouldn't it be nice? And it makes absolute sense to me. What a great, great song. One of my top two or three Beach Boy songs of all time. And a perfect, perfect opening song for that album. Mm. You know, it's just a great song. And, you know, they do it great in concert, too. They always did it really well in concert. Now, the next song, Blinded by the Light, the opening track of the debut album, by Bruce Springsteen, the greetings from Asbury Park, and it's filled with energy, filled with words, filled with vibrant music, and the explosion that Springsteen would continue to uh, work off of for years after. I mean, what a great song. I am not a wordsmith guy. I listen to music, I hear the overall thing, hear the feel of the groove, and I kind of hear the words. But I actually knew all the words to this song some osmosis matter. And, you know, and Springsteen's uh, songwriting has changed quite a bit. He's even said so after, well, when he got to Born to Run, his third album, uh, his way of writing got further away from this very, very wordy. Although I think I agree with you. I think he pulled it off really well. It doesn't sound as wordy as it is. It's, you know, Bob Dylan does the same thing. You know, sometimes it does sound a little wordier, but, you know, it's a, it's a funny, it's a, a real talent to be able to take a lot of words and make it flow, you know, in a song. It's also pretty cool to have the opening track of your debut album 
uh, be able to define you in a way that will stay true decades mm-hmm. later. And then after that comes what I think is one of the greatest opening songs for anybody. It's called Rocks Off. It was the first song on the Rolling Stones' epic Exile on Main Street from 1972. Epic double album. They've done Rocks Off. they, They never really did it in concert much, but they did start doing it in the 2000s. And it sounds great in concert. It's just there's a quasi psychedelic part of that song in the middle that just comes out of nowhere and works. And it's, it's gone, it shows up, it's there, and then it goes. And, hey, and somehow it just works. Rock, do you think you would like it as much if the title was John's Off? Well, I doubt it. <laughs> um, and then we went straight to Fresh Cream, the Cream's opening, Cream's debut album in 1966, I Feel Free, which is the opening song of, well, we should call it the opening salvo from Cream. <laughs> What a great song. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, talk about a song that, like, defined the band. I mean, you you knew exactly what you were getting when you heard that song. Cool stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. 
I saw a gap and figured he'd be 
segment is I called it fish out of water and I was thinking of artists performing songs that were left field for the type of music that they were known for Uh, for example we start off with Elvis Costello doing a jazz big band version of watching the detectives and then we go to a fish song that I know that you're I, I realized uh, looking at this, I was at this show. Uh, this this was uh, uh, July second, two thousand eleven, when they were doing their Super Bowl nine, Socrates, New York, where uh, Woodstock had been held. Anyways, it's, it's it's the song "Boogie on Reggae Woman" by uh, Stevie Wonder. That's on uh, fulfilling his first finale. I think yes. it's not an odd song for Fish to be playing in this Fish Out of Water segment we're doing. Fish actually has, I would say, several dozen. 
uh, well-known songs from the 60s and 70s that are in their song rotation. Uh, anyway, Boogie on Reggae Woman is an active song in Fish's rep- repertoire, along with many others. It's not a, a surprise to see them do it. And their reference for the song shows in their brevity. Uh, there's, it's not a, they don't turn it into a jam fest. They, they just love the song, and they play it very, very well. Yeah, the drumming, I think, in particular. Yeah, they just they get it. Well. You can tell they love it, and they get right. it. And now the next song is a, is a real nice oddity. comes from an album called The Free Creek Players, which was an open jam session in New York City for a couple of days. I can't tell you when, but some of the players included uh, Todd Rundgren and Eric Clapton. This, the song is Freedom Jazz Dance by Eddie Harris. It's sort of a soul jazz classic, and it features Chuck Rainey on the bass. Mitch Mitchell from Jimi Hendrix fame on drums, one of my favorite guitar players, Buzz Featon, and Keith Emerson taking the lead on the melody and the solos. And when I heard this, I had never heard this before. John introduced me to this. I could have told you it was Keith Emerson a mile away, and I, I mean that as a, that's a good thing. I mean, he really, his identity just popped out of this recording. Yeah, it, it, it's a sweet one, and a pretty rare one. Now, the next song is a mashup with... Michael Jackson and James Brown. And Let me tell you, when I heard this, I thought it was a recording. I thought it was the two of them in a studio recording together. I had no idea it was a mashup. It's that good. Mm. And it is that good, so enjoy. And we follow that with a, a fun surprise, a beer commercial for the radio written and performed by Cream. Falstaff beer. <laughs> I, I never would have guessed in a million years. If, if I hadn't heard this, I wouldn't believe that it existed. It's a good minute or so of Cream performing an original song that sounds like a couple other Cream songs, but if it's for Falstaff beer, and they sing their hearts out and play <laughs> their hearts out. And we finish up with a wonderful fish out of water, Jeff Beck playing with the Brian Wilson Band, and they're doing Surf's Up, and I often call Jeff Beck a vocalist. And in this particular case, his lead guitar sings the melody, he plays the vocal, and the band plays the track exactly as we know it. It's just one sweet moment. Oh, and once again, you can tell, you can tell how much Jeff Beck loves this song by the way he plays it. Got no 
jump inside With the visible shivers running down my spine We can't be baby taking off the clothes Cause some of the sinuses we never close He snatch at you and you match your cigarette She pulls the eyes out with a face like a magnet I don't know how much more of this I can take She's filing her nails while they're dragging the lake she is watching the detectives Oh, you're so cute She is watching the detectives Oh, and they shoot, 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 shoot They beat him up until the teardrop star But he can't be wounded when it's got no heart When it's got no heart Someone scratching at the window I wonder who is it the detectives come to check If you belong to the famous one Ready to hear the worst about the thought of this appearance That we nearly took a miracle to get you to stay Only took my little fingers to blow you away Just like watching the detectives Oh, don't get cute Just like watching the detectives The gas are everywhere, the tears up star when it's got no heart When it's got no heart Just like watching the detectives Just like watching the detectives Just like watching the
Thank <laughs> you. 
that's what we're talking about.